Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. When I say Cantonese stir-fried dishes, what comes to your mind? Is it shrimp and egg fried rice? Beef stir-fried noodles? Or maybe sweet and sour pork? What about lobster with garlic butter and egg noodles? Whatever it may be, they all have one thing in common. Wok hei. But what exactly is wok hei? And what makes it so desirable in Cantonese cuisine? That's what we're going to find out today. I'm Charmaine Mock. And I'm Sam Evans. This, This is, is Eat, Drink, Drink Asia. Asia. To learn more about Wok Hei, we're turning to our fellow colleague, Lisa Cam. She's a senior reporter for the Culture Desk, and she recently went around Hong Kong to discover what Wok Hei actually is. Lisa, tell us what you found. Hello! I actually went and asked a Hong Kong chef who has four decades of experience with wok cooking what wok hei is. Here's Chef Zheng Chiu King of Ming Kut. Wok hei is created when food is cooked under intense heat. When food is quickly cooked with high heat, moisture in the food evaporates quickly and the fat content is caramelized. This creates a unique charred crust and flavor. That's wok hei. There's actually science behind this. There's charred wok hei flavor actually comes from a process called the Maillard reaction. That's when high heat transforms carbohydrates and proteins, producing new flavors, aromas and color. It's what causes foods to brown or blacken if you burn them. It's the same reaction that makes toasted bread, roasted potatoes and seared steak taste so good. Yeah, like when it comes to cooking in a Cantonese kitchen, this reaction is a bit different because the food is cooked in a wok under a short period of time on a stove that looks and sounds like a rocket engine. It sounds just like this. By cooking in high heat in mere seconds, you come to achieve wok hei. Here's what Chef Zheng has to say about it. The stove we use is very distinct from what is used for other cuisines. Our stoves have a high-powered fan that can significantly increase the temperature and allows us to cook food in a very short time. The heat also seals moisture and fat inside the food, creating the wok hei flavor. So it's just as easy as that, is it? No, Sam, not any chef could just achieve this. 
We need such high heat to create wok hay. Think about it. You're cooking in such a short time under very high heat. Yet, the food's not burnt. It takes a long time for Cantonese chefs to master this technique. It's quite a difficult skill. Well, actually, Cantonese chefs spend years learning how to toss the wok and control the stove burner. But there's something that makes it all more difficult. Think of when you're roasting a chicken, you know, the weight, you know, the time, and maybe adjust to whether or not it's a gas or electric stove or burner. And like, you know, you check the internal temperature to make sure it's reached 175 degrees Fahrenheit. And when you're cooking pasta, like, you know, you follow the instructions, you put it in boiling water, you're more or less going to get it right. Well, with Cantonese cooking with a wok, it's a lot more intuitive. These kind of instructions don't exist in Cantonese cooking. It's kind of like a free-for-all. That's what's funny about Cantonese cuisine. We don't have a temperature measurement or a requirement for how many seconds it takes to cook. It's all on the chef's individual experience and skills. That's absolutely right, Lisa. As we know, a lot of Chinese chefs never write anything down. It's really just down to their years of experience, isn't it? Yeah, Chef Zheng showed us his years of experience and accumulated skills. And when he was cooking the stir-fried beef noodles, Gontao Ao Ho, it's a dish that you can find nearly in every Cantonese restaurant. But not everybody could master it like Chef Zheng has. When we cook this dish, we can't tell if the food inside the wok is done by sight because there's too much smoke. So it all comes down to the chef's experience to determine how long it takes to cook the dish so that there's a charred flavor which creates wok hay. And usually when you cook under such high heat, there's bound to be some food stuck on the pan. Yeah, so when you brown meat or vegetables, you get these caramelized bits, or you're supposed to, anyway, on the bottom of the pan. And that is called fond. But in Western cooking, when all goes well, we like to deglaze the fond. So we'd add liquids like wine or broth to the pan to lift those brown bits from the pan and reduce it all into a lovely, delicious sauce. But that's when everything goes well, of course, uh, and it doesn't always go that well. All too often in my personal cooking, I am sometimes left with little finicky bits on the bottom of the pan, and it doesn't all quite work out so well. <laughs> well, right. But in Cantonese cooking, when it's done well, we don't even get any of that fond. After Chef Jung finished cooking the beef stir-fried noodles, he showed us his wok. Take a look at the wok. There's nothing stuck on the wok. And it was clean. Even with such high heat, nothing is sticking on the wok. That is wok hay, only in Cantonese cuisine. So, I mean, what we all want to know, Lisa, is how did it taste? It was kind of like a fleeting tenderness. It was cooked so piping hot that when you eat the sliced beef, there was like this caramelized, like sizzly bit on the outside and the inside was actually quite tender. Now, why I said fleeting is because after we took some snapshots of the beef noodles and we had the beef again, the internal heat of the noodles already cooked it. So another thing on appreciation of wok hay is that you've got to train your palate to eat really hot food, to really appreciate it. And he also made a stir-fried chicken for us as well that day. And when he put it in a clay pot to keep the heat, 
That blockade just kept going for like 20, 30 minutes after he served it, which was amazing. Like, Chef Zheng is really amazing. So what is it that enables a chef to make wok hei? Is it purely about the heat or is it about the, the vessel that it's in and the, the equipment that they use? Well, Chef Zheng said that one of the key components of achieving wok hei is the stove burner. The other key component is the wok itself. Now let's take a deep dive into the wok. Let me introduce you to the woman who many call the wok expert. I'm Grace Young. I'm a Chinese cookbook author and a culinary historian. I'm known for my work about woks and specifically about stir frying. Grace is based in New York. She wrote three cookbooks. Two of them are specifically about the wok. While doing research for her books, she traveled across mainland China and Hong Kong. So I asked her about the history of the wok and if we know who invented it. No, we don't know who invented it. And I've done a lot of research into this. The earliest woks date back to the Han Dynasty. And we know that because in Han burial sites, there have been uh, miniature pottery woks that were found in Han tombs. One of Grace's cookbooks, Stir Frying to the Sky's Edge, is solely dedicated to stir fries. But she also teaches how the wok can be used for so much more. In Chinese cooking, the wok is not only used for stir frying, but you can steam, boil, poach, pan fry, deep fat fry, braise and smoke. And in recent years, I have found that my wok, it goes beyond Chinese cooking. I've used it to roast a chicken. In America, we have this term to spatchcock a chicken, which is to cut a chicken in half and spread it out so it lays flat. So if you do that and place it in the wok, I've roasted a chicken, which is absolutely incredible, takes much less time than a traditional roast chicken. I've roasted vegetables. I've used my wok to pop corn, pan fry a steak, I use it to scramble eggs, and it's really fantastic for reheating a slice of pizza. So, yeah, it turns out that the hippest pan is over 2,000 years old. Not only does Grace know practically everything you need to know about the wok, but she was also the first person to translate wokhe into English. That was back in 1999, in her first cookbook, The Wisdom of the Chinese Kitchen. My parents, and especially my father, was always talking about wokhe. He had many, many different friends in Chinatown who were restaurant owners, and the restaurant owners were generally the chefs of the restaurant. And so he was very accustomed to walking into a restaurant kitchen whenever he would take us out to eat. And rather than order from the menu, he would go into the kitchen and just talk to the chef and find out what was freshest. And when he would come back to the table, he would say in Cantonese that he asked the chef to give us extra wok hay. And, and he would describe how red hot and fiery the woks were. So um, because my Cantonese wasn't very good, I actually just literally heard the words wok hay and I knew hay meant breath. And so I imagined wok hay as the fiery breath of the wok. The fiery breath of the wok. Sounds epic. 
Well, Breath of the Walk, that's how Grace translates Walk Hay, and that's a title of one of her cookbooks. Hey Lisa, Chef Zhang earlier told us that chefs can achieve Wok Hei partly because of the large stove burners. But I'm pretty sure that most of us don't have that in our home kitchens. So did Grace have any tips for home cooks on how to achieve Wok Hei without it? She does! She says the first thing you need to get is a proper wok. You must use a wok, and the older the wok, the better. The Chinese actually say that the food tastes better in the wok that is old than in a brand new wok. The thing about an older wok is that it actually heats faster and more efficiently than a shiny pan. And get a wok that's made of carbon steel or cast iron. Don't get anything that's labeled nonstick. Nonstick woks are meant for the garbage. Most nonstick pans are not intended for high heat. And when you're stir frying, you should be using high heat. And so Many nonstick pans, when you set them on high heat, they are releasing toxins into the air. So my advice is cook with ancient natural nonstick cookware, such as the old-fashioned wok, and throw modern nonstick cookware into the garbage. The second step is to prep the old-fashioned wok so that it forms a natural nonstick coating. You do this by heating the wok until it gets really, really hot before adding cold oil. So how do you judge when a wok has been sufficiently preheated? I often say to people that you preheat the wok on high heat, and then you start flicking a drop of water into the pan. And the moment the drop of water evaporates within one second, the wok is correctly preheated. The Chinese actually call this uh, hot wok cold oil. And that prevents the food from sticking, especially when you're stir frying. Grace says you should also always use fresh seasonal ingredients and never overcrowd your wok. I've seen recipes in America that call for stir frying two pounds of chicken in your standard, what I call 14 inch wok. And if you do that, you just take down the heat of the wok and you turn your stir fry into a braise. Back in 2012, Grace started a Facebook group called Walk Wednesdays, and it's basically an online community of people who are cooking through her cookbooks. One of the members is a man named John Urbino, and one day he sent me a message on Facebook. John lives in Lake Tahoe in California, but he asked if he and his wife could grab a meal with Grace in New York, and so they did. And then he said to me as we parted, that there are no good Chinese restaurants in Lake Tahoe. So he has been stir-frying from my cookbook, Stir-Frying to the Sky's Edge. And he said, we have achieved wake, and it's incredible, and we've had friends over, and everybody appreciates it. And so he said, sometimes we do these potluck meals, and friends will text me, don't start the stir-fry until I get there, because I don't want to miss the wake. So here are all these Caucasian people who are appreciating stir fries with wok hay in Lake Tahoe, California. And I stood there, we were on a street corner in New York City, and I, I, I got a little lump in my throat thinking my father has passed away. 
And yet his obsession and appreciation for Walk Hay lives on in Lake Tahoe, California, with people that he's never, ever met. And there are so many other people in the world because of the fact that I wrote The Breath of the Walk and Stir Frying to the Sky's Edge, who have this appreciation for Wok Hay. Grace's father has always taught her to appreciate Wok Hay, but her infatuation with it actually intensified when she came to Hong Kong. When I was about 10 years old, my family took a trip to Hong Kong, and that was my first time in Hong Kong. And we ate at all these Dai Pai Dongs and restaurants. For the uninitiated, a Dai Pai Dong in Hong Kong is an open-air restaurant on the streets of Hong Kong, and food is mostly cooked with a wok. And I was completely fascinated and hooked on watching the cooks make the food. And it was just so exciting to sit there and you could hear the sound of the spatulas, the metal spatulas stroking the walk and the sound even of the heat of the gas coming up and the aroma that was surrounding us was intoxicating. And then the dish would come to our table and it was just filled with that smoky essence So, yeah, I think that eating in Hong Kong really set my lifelong love for stir fries and appreciation for wok hay. So, Lisa, Charmaine, how often do you guys go to the Dai Pai Dongs in Hong Kong? And if so, on what kind of occasions and what time of year? What, when will you go? Definitely not in summer. Mm-hmm. Though I'm kidding. I did actually go to a Dai Pai Dong just last week in Sham Shui Po. And I just really respect the chefs. You know, you see them outside. It's 35 degrees, 99% humidity or something ridiculous. And they're just there, just rock stars, walk stars. And, you know, I just had to put that in there. And it's just incredible. And the scent just hits you even before you've reached the Dai Pai Dong, right? And then you just, it's just everything. It's all about the sound. It's all about the smell. It's just an irreplaceable experience in Hong Kong. And and Lisa, it, it is sad that we don't see so much of them anymore. I know. I have some really fond childhood memories of families taking me to have a Dai Pai Dong meal before we go to the airport. So when I was little, I actually lived close to the airport in Hong Kong. So before I leave, we would go to a Dai Pai Dong and then we'd just walk over to the airport. Back when it was in Kai Tak, right? Yeah, back it was Kai Tak. So it was like, you know, I have childhood memories of like sitting there on a plastic chair, like, you know, waiting for this delicious stir fry and going back to Australia where there's none of that. Definitely none in London either for when I was there for seven years. Right. Really missed that. Hey, have you had (laughs) food with like bad, like, you know, that tries but like fail? I think the worst version of beef hall fun is one without wok hay. You just yeah. get grease. Mm. It's just, yeah, it's like greasy and you like your lips get covered in it and you can feel your insides getting congealed by it. Yeah, you definitely need that wok hay, especially with the whole farm. Yeah. So Lisa, you actually went out to Sham Shui Po recently, a district that's really known for its Dai Pai Dongs. 
That's right. Let me take you to a place which got voted as one of the world's coolest neighborhoods a couple of years ago. You've heard of downtown LA. You've heard of the northern quarter in Manchester. Let me take you guys to Sham Show Po. Let me tell you where I am right now. I'm on Shekip May Street in the district of Sham Show Po. Shamshopo is a working class district that used to be known for its textile industry. One of the most crowded districts in the world. It's full of people from old Hong Kong. A lot of people's aged relatives live here, but the area is being gentrified. A lot of cool little coffee shops and quite a few independent art galleries are in Shamshopo as well. It's also an area known for electronics. A lot of people come here shopping for computer parts. It's a very residential area. The streets are full of the working class. You wouldn't be surprised to see little shops selling knickknacks with the symbolic Hong Kong shop cats. Also, Shekip May Street is one of those few streets that have some remaining Dai Pai dogs left in Hong Kong. Live walks, a lot of fire cooking and ingredients being prepared right on the spot, known for its freshness and walk hay in their food. In the Dai Pai Dongs, it uses like colorful plastic chairs. It's all very like no frills, very down to earth kind of vibe. We love eating in this, especially when the weather's great, not too hot, not too cold, and you just chow down to some really hearty good stir fries in Hong Kong. The setup looks temporary, but Dai Pai Dongs have been around ever since Hong Kong has existed. One of the many Hong Kongers who got their first taste of wok at a Dai Pai Dong is A Chen Chan. She's the head chef of the trendy Cantonese restaurant Holy Fook, located in the groovy part of Central. A Chen, tell us your memories about eating stir fries in Hong Kong and your memories of wok So I grew up in like Prince Edward, Sam Shui that area, mm-hmm. 30 years ago. There's still a lot of Dai Pai Dong. And I think one of my Memory of going to Dai Pai Dong, it's just a very simple wok fried vegetables. How can this Sunyong Bak Choy like stir fry baby bak choy with garlic, taste so different from anything like anyone cook at home? How can it taste like so much better? So I think that is when I want to really understand, you know, what is wok and wok hay cooking. How old were you then? You were like, you like vegetables? Uh, yes, it's <laughs> eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Wow. So you were really drawn, like, you know, that wok hay could even change the characteristics of vegetables. Yes. There's one thing I need to note here. In Cantonese kitchens, all the wok cooking is usually done by male chefs. That's because the kitchen culture is pretty much always very male-centric. Exactly. Well, one of the main things about woks is that they're pretty, pretty heavy. Is that one factor that you think are preventing women from wielding a wok in the kitchen? It's seen as very labor-intensive work. And in traditional Chinese upbringing, a girl should not be required to do labor-intensive work. Like, that's a sign of, like, a good upbringing. I still have memories of my grandmother showing me away from the kitchen as a kid because I was too good for the kitchen. So that's why a lot of women are kind of discouraged to even go near it because a well-brought-up woman should have stuff (laughs) to take care of the kitchen. But, you know... It's pretty heavy stuff. It is physically demanding if any of you guys have held one of these woks, whether or not you're going to buy it. They typically weigh a ton. I mean, not literally. They're about 2.2 kilos, but that's almost five pounds. That's a heavy thing. 
Yeah, Archon tried to teach me and like just swaying around the smaller version of it with one arm already felt like I was doing a workout. Yeah. But Archon works at the walk station and she can work that walk like any other male chef can, even though she's shorter than me. Physically, obviously, usually our bill is not as strong as male. But I feel that don't let that discourage you because at the end of the day, by training, by practicing, it is heavy, but it's, it's, it's manageable, it's manageable. And when Archon joined Holy Fook as a head chef, she made some changes to the menu. You introduced actually a whole stir-fry section into the Holy Fook menu. Why did you feel that was essential to Holy Fook's experience? Because I feel if anyone would want to come and try the food in Hong Kong, I think that is an essential part. No matter if it is vegetable or, or, or wok fried meat, I, I think it is one of our centerpiece because obviously we have barbecue section, we have a, you know, a lot of seafood, it's, it's really good at steaming just, just to keep that natural flavor. But for wok frying, for example, we have like stir fry king on the menu, which is like everywhere. It's a Chinatown dish, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is a dish that it just has so much ingredients and it's so fresh, so fast, so light, a lot of different texture. I think that is a very good representation and a very good use of wok. So I asked her how to make stir-fry king. One of the technique of cooking this, you can see I'm hitting the wok really, really hot. Uh, almost you can see the wok starts to become white color and red color. And then I put a big layer of oil into it. Which what it does is, is making sure the wok is hot but it covered with a layer of oil. And I'm pulling it out. Um, and then I'm putting back a bit of oil inside. So you can see when I add the ingredients in it, it is still a bit sizzling. And I just give it a very quick toss. I'm also controlling the heat to turn the heat back down slightly. And then I'm deglazing it with the shell shim. And I'll turn the heat back on to really, really high. And with the tossing, you can see the flame is, is coming up. And then I'm adding in the flour and garlic chive and the peanut sprout that has been quickly blanched. So technically, they are almost cooked adding it back in, giving it another quick toss with intense heat, another shellshing to get all those flavor and the wok hay in the flour and garlic chives as well. All the ingredients in the wok now is pretty much cooked. I'm about to season it, season, heat back on, wok cooking very, very fast, about three or four tossing. So now every flavor is going to each other. And then towards the end of it, I'm gonna add a little bit of soy sauce. I don't want to add it too early because otherwise it will just evaporate and then leave a very burnt taste to the wok. At the end is the yellow chives. It just gives it a little bit of flavor, um, you know, the color, but they technically just need like 10 seconds of cooking. Yellow chives in, quick finish, and then the dish is ready. And just to let you guys know, this dish had so much wok hay that Archon had to call maintenance team because the smoke alarm was triggered. Well, I guess that's one reason why Dai Pai Dongs are great, because you're never going to trigger the smoke alarm that way. <laughs> but you guys, when I go to a Dai Pai Dong, you know, I never order just one dish. I always order so much that the dishes just start piling up on top of each other. One of my favorites is probably, I don't know if you've had it, but it's the osmanthus egg. So, you know, it takes so much skill for the chef to kind of stir fry this in the wok, just so it breaks up the egg so that they resemble the tiny little yellow flowers that you call osmanthus. You know, it's all about the timing with that dish. Too slow, it's becoming an omelet. And if you get the timing wrong, it just burns. 
So are all these dishes, the osmenthis egg and the other dishes that we've talked about, are they all pretty much prepared the same way? Is there always a lot of heat and fire and tossing involved? That's actually a really good question. I'm glad you brought that up because there's actually a lot of different techniques that go into cooking with a wok. Archon told me that she had to learn all of that through many years of practice and observation. For like dishes that, you know, it cook really, really fast, you, 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 look, you use a lot of like really intense heat and a lot of fast tossing. But if you, for example, you, you just toss like a fish fillet with vegetables, you're not going to toss as much or as intense as a vegetable. For example, a lot of people talk about sweet and sour pork. The reason why it's really, really hard is because you have uh, ingredients that is crispy. There's a sauce coating. And that sauce coating usually they have a lot of uh, sugar content and vinegar. So for that, you can't use just intense heat, otherwise your taste burn. You want the right consistency and you want that consistency to be good because technically you want to add the pork in and do a quick toss and it's just cold with the extra, extra sauce. If there's too much sauce, then the pork will get less crispy faster. And I guess the other one, which is also my childhood favorite, would be wok fried clams with black bean and chili. Oh, that's really good. But that's and, a different skill yet again from what you mentioned before with yeah. the clams because you got to be like, you know, I mean, of course, you got to treat the clams and mm. make sure that the clams open up and all that. But you're cooking through with the shells like in Cantonese cuisine. Exactly. So like you got to make sure the heat goes through the clams. Yeah, that is a good example because obviously for the wok fry clams, you can't just go toss, 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 toss because you'll break the shell. So you use slightly different technique, for example, like turning the wok. So it just move around. And when you do have to turn it, you have to do it a bit lighter. Mm -hmm. You can't just be like doing the surf and you just keep tossing. So there are just so many, I guess, intangible things about the wok cooking. To me, that's the magic of it. It seems like a, a magic, like a true art. That's You really have to know the ins and outs of these things to even begin to be able to do it right. Like a lot of these chefs at the Dai Pai Dong and uh, in other restaurants across the city are doing every day. That's right. So to answer your question, achieving wok hei is not simply about lots of heat or lots of tossing. It's all about understanding what your ingredients are, what kind of textures and flavours that you're trying to achieve with them, and using your experience and skills to create wok hei. And also, the wok isn't just for stir fries. As Grace mentioned, you can use it to braise meat, steam vegetables, deep fry wontons, poach a fish, or simply scramble some eggs. There are endless possibilities when it comes to the wok. It's a very versatile piece of kit. It's the best thing in my kitchen, honestly. Mine's stainless steel, actually. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what would Chef Zen say about I, I, that? Yeah, I was going to ask if one of you guys would kindly uh, teach me to get my wok technique on point, but after that, I'm afraid I'm going to have to. I'm gonna to try my hand with one of the masters at the Dai Pai Dong. You might need to uh, hit the gym a bit more often, you know, work on the upper body. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really tough. Like my my arm was like straining, mm. like just from like five minutes of doing it. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Of the female chefs that achieve wok hei, a lot of them that I know are very small in stature. It's crazy. I mean, it's it's just some kind of like internal like power, yeah. you know, it's like kung fu. Mm -hmm. If you read the story that I wrote about Wok Hei, I actually make a lot of allegories to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you think, is it all, the strength is in the lower arm then? So if you got some of these ladies to pull their sleeves up, they'd have like... 
Archon, definitely. Mm -hmm. But um, there's this legendary lady that's been walking since the Cultural Revolution. And she's like 70s old, tiny little lady. And if you touch the muscle between the thumb and the index finger with her, it's like steel. She actually just uses her thumb to do it. And she's known to toss things up to three feet high. Oh, my God. Just by doing this, like, you know, with her thumb. And like she's like she demonstrated it for us when I was in Macau, and she's amazing. Some of these guys are athletes, then, really. Yeah, there should be like a walk Olympics. <laughs> I think we should. Uh, yeah, we should campaign for that totally. I want to walk Olympics. <laughs> like, can you take the heat? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's better than Master Chef. We have something OG that's Hong Kong. No, it is. It is such a classic Hong Kong dish, right? And I remember Lisa, you were saying that. You know, Chef Zhang was saying that this is actually something that is not found in the other regional Chinese cuisines. Yep, not of the, the great cuisines. I mean. Yeah, the, the great eight, eight, the great eight Chinese cuisines. Cantonese is the only one that discusses wokei. Well, that's all for this wokei edition of Eat Drink Asia. Thanks for listening. And a reminder: you can find the video version of Lisa's wokei journey through Hong Kong on scmp.com along with all of our other food-related stories and videos. Don't forget to follow us on our Instagram page at scmp underscore lifestyle. And Lisa, where can people find you on Instagram? Oh, my handle's really cute. <laughs> C for cat, nine for the number nine, and the city, which is sea lion the city. Sea nine and the city, nice. <laughs> and Sam, when's the next episode of Hong Kong Hoods coming out? Uh, we're working on it now. We're thinking late June or early July. Fantastic. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.